I uh, recently read a story about a woman who was stationed overseas in the military. And after only one month, her boyfriend sent her a letter saying that he'd found someone he liked better, so he's breaking up with her. But could she please send back the picture of him that he'd given her because he didn't have a copy and he wanted to give it to his new girlfriend? Well, she was kind of hurt by this, so all the other soldiers in her unit brought pictures of their boyfriends, if they were women, or of their friends, if they were men. And she put her ex's picture in this box along with all these other pictures of these other guys, sent it off to her ex with a note that said, please take your picture and send back the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you are. I love that story. <laughs> Justice, right? I mean, he got what he deserved, and that's just fair, right? For the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a very unfair story, the prodigal son. And each week, we will look at it from the perspective of one of the three different characters, the father and the two sons, because I think we can relate to all three, and in various ways, this story is unfair to all of them. And nobody knows that better than the elder brother. Now, normally preachers bash the elder brother for being judgmental, but I've always thought he has a point, don't you think? Right? I mean, here the younger son goes and squanders all the money, comes waltzing back, and the father throws him the party, while the elder brother has been holding down the fort, obeying all the rules. It's not fair. Now, the father in this story represents God, and this story is ultimately a story about God's grace, so just before I, I start, let me just put, throw out this one caveat. Yes, God cares about justice, and he cares about our behavior because sin destroys us and others, all of which I'll talk about other times. But for the next couple of weeks, I want us to live with the scandal of grace. Because the truth is, we love grace when we're on the receiving end, but not so much when someone else is getting it. And that's the older brother's issue, isn't it? And I think there's an elder brother in most of us. See if any of these apply to you. It's the elder brother in us that judges other people for their behavior. Everything from someone cutting you off in traffic to bigger things like crime. And most of us get judgmental about something. I remember once leading a Bible study of high school students and one of them said at one point, well, I'm just glad I'm not judgmental like you guys. I mean, you guys are really judgmental. Little issue there, a little contradiction. It's the elder brother in us that says things like, well, I may not be perfect, but at least I don't do such and such like so and so. Ever thought that? Said that? It's the older brother in us that gets angry when someone has something that we think we deserve. We start to think things like, well, he doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that money. I'm a nicer person. I'm more socially conscious or whatever. Sometimes when churches reach out to people who don't normally go to church, it's the elder brother in us that starts to think, well, I guess they don't care about me anymore. It's the elder brother in us that thinks, I deserved it, I earned it, that person has a problem. And there's an elder brother in most of us. And since confession is good for the soul, I just want to ask you, would you please raise your hand if you think you're sitting next to an elder brother kind of person? A <laughs> couple of you, I can see your... Offering up your spouse. <laughs> grace offends us. As I've said to you before, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. But when it saves a wretch like you, it's not so amazing anymore. But here's the good news, and it is very good news. The father loves not just prodigals, which we all are from time to time, but the father loves even elder brothers like you and like me. 
In fact, that is the intended audience for this story. Look how it starts. Now the tax collectors and, quote, sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the teachers were the pastors and the good religious folk of their day who worked very hard to obey every single one of 613 different rules. And they get a bad rap from preachers for being uptight, but you know what? Their motives were actually pretty good. They were concerned with the dignity of God and how to worship him in a dignified way. And they were worried about the declining moral standards in their culture and felt someone had to do something about it. To quote Mark Twain, they were good in the worst sense of the word. So when Jesus welcomes tax collectors and prostitutes, these religious folks, they get all upset. So Jesus tells this story, but not to condemn them, but to show how much the Father loves them. <clears throat> and how much he wants to free us from our inner elder brother. Because that elder brother inside of us, that attitude wrecks our lives in a couple of ways. For one thing, the elder brother in us traps us into a prison of performance. Listen to what he says to the Father. Look. All these years I've been slaving for you and you never even gave me a goat. That's how he sees the father. Like a lot of us, he believes that in order to be accepted, he has to perform and achieve. Now, there's nothing wrong with achieving, but if we are performing and achieving to get someone's approval, well, then it becomes destructive. And the problem is for most of us, because this is the way the world works, we feel a lot of pressure to earn other people's love and approval. And it starts young. You know, we think, oh, my dad likes it if I'm good at basketball and, and I, I want to please dad, so I'm going to get good at basketball. Or if I go to this college or have this job or do these church activities, people will pay attention to me. And then we accuse, uh, confuse attention with love, even though they're not the same thing, and off we go, trying to please, perform, achieve in order to win acceptance. But what the elder brother does not understand is that the heart of the father is different than the rest of the world. And that with the Father, he is loved just as he is, not as he should be. And it's because he doesn't understand that, that it causes the second way our inner elder brother wrecks our lives. And that is, it makes us joyless. <clears throat> the text says, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Uh-oh, can't have any of that, right? So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? So basically, the elder brother here takes out his Blackberry and goes, fun? That's not on the schedule. No one told me about fun. We're not having fun today. Uh-uh, no fun. Right? That's what that performance prison does to you. It saps your joy. Author Philip Yancey tells a story about being in church and seeing a little toddler kind of singing and laughing really loudly, and his mom kept trying to get him to be quiet. Finally, she gave him a little swat, and the boy started to cry. And the mom said, that's better, no having fun in church. That's, wouldn't want fun in church, would we now? No, no. That's the elder brother in us. All that rule keeping has stolen his joy. <clears throat> and the third mi misery his elder brother attitude brings us is wrecked relationships. The elder brother says to the father, look, I've been slaving away for you. And that first word, look, in that culture would have been a colossal insult. Because in that culture, you never addressed an elder without some kind of title. Rabbi or father or something like that. He's basically saying, look, you big jerk. Only it'd be worse than that. I, I can't actually say what the English equivalent would be. All of his rule keeping has severed his relationship with his father. And from his brother. Now he's all judgmental about his brother too. Right? He goes on to say, when this son of yours, notice not my brother, right? this son of yours, who has devoured your living in prostitutes, 
Excuse me? Who said anything about prostitutes? Right? The story doesn't say how the younger brother spent the money. Where did prostitutes come from? Guess what's on the older brother's mind? All right? And then he shames his father by refusing to go into the feast, which in that culture would have been colossally humiliating for the dad, public shaming for the dad. But see how deep the father's love is for us. In spite of all the ways that we reject him, the father still reaches out to his angry, joyless, judgmental son to free all of us, to free us all from the inner brother inside, elder brother inside of us and set us free from that performance prison, the joylessness and wreck relationships that our elder brother within brings us all the time. And the way he does that is to give us a radically different kind of love than we have ever experienced before. A love that is not in this world. A love that comes only from him. A love that is not based on performance. In that culture where it was literally, shame was literally worse than death. After the son had been so insulting to the father, the only thing a father in that culture would do would be to beat his son thoroughly. But instead, this father goes out of the house to find him. And again, that's very culturally inappropriate. In that culture, the father would have waited inside the house for the son to come in and receive his beating. But instead, this father goes out to him and he says, my son. And the Greek word there is different than the word used for son in the rest of the story. It's a more tender term. It means my boy, my best boy. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. In other words, it's, I don't love your younger brother more than you. I love you both. And everything I have is for both of you. You just never understood my heart. This story shows how far the elder brother has wandered from the father without ever leaving home. Or for maybe those of us sitting here today, without ever leaving church or ever leaving our religion. His heart has grown cold and judgmental. <clears throat> and if the first part of this story shows God welcoming back law-breaking sinners, the second part shows God welcoming back law-keeping sinners. The father is saying to all of us elder brothers, thank you. Thank you for wanting to be holy. That is a good thing. But you are not in my house because of that. You are in my house because I love you. And yes, I have wasted my love on sinners like your younger brother. Now please, oh please, oh please, will you let me waste it on you too. And when we experience this radically different kind of love that is not based on performance, when we experience it, it frees us from anger, jealousy, and bitterness. So you know what, if you find yourself from time to time thinking and feeling like the elder brother, your response should not be, oh, what a jerk I am, I'm just like the elder brother. No, 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 no. When you feel that way, that should be an alarm bell that says, whoa, uh oh, I must not understand how deeply I am loved by the Father. Because when we really experience God's radically different kind of love than the world gives us, our hearts shift and we're filled with joy and love and then we give it away. You can't give what you don't have. But once we experience God's love, can't help but giving it away. So how do we do that? How do we free ourselves from the elder brother inside of us I'm gonna, and receive the Father's love? I'm going to give you two prayers for this Advent. <clears throat> the first is, Lord, show me my sin. Show me my sin. And not so that we can feel guilty and wallow in it, but so that we can experience God's love as he forgives us. And because have you ever noticed it's a lot harder to be judgmental of someone else when you know your own stuff? And we all got stuff. I got stuff, you got stuff. All God's children got stuff. We all make mistakes. We all mess up in big ways, in little ways. And going to church doesn't change that. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, part of our 
our website at the church wasn't working. <clears throat> so we put up a note that said we're having technical difficulties. Only we kind of messed it up. Because the note went on to say, we apologize for any incontinence this may have caused you. <coughs> Sorry about that. that. That story has almost nothing to do with this sermon. I just wanted to tell it because I <laughs> thought it was kind of funny. So that was an accident, so to speak. But we admitted it. And we went forward, right? And that's, we all blow it. That's what we have to do. We all blow it in big ways and in small. If we deny that truth, that is the quickest, fastest way to becoming an elder brother. If we deny that truth. But if we admit it and confess our sins and experience God's forgiveness, our hearts will soften, we'll lose the anger, and we'll get freedom and joy. Second helpful prayer for this Advent, Lord, show me your love for me. You know, and I know everything in us wants a formula for how we can experience God's love. But you know what? There is no formula. Because it's not about a formula. It's a relationship. And it's a supernatural thing the Holy Spirit has to do in us. So I'm betting that the most practical thing, even though it doesn't sound like it, the most practical thing is to consistently pray that God would overwhelm us with his love. And it may take time. Because, because God's love is so different than what we're used to. And we've, been, we've spent 20, 30, 60 years trying to earn approval. We've done it so much, we even think God's love is less worthwhile because we didn't earn it. So it doesn't make us feel special and better than other people. That's how messed up we are. We're so used to having to perform to be loved. It may take a while to get the Father's love deep into our souls, but keep praying consistently for it, and he will show you. <clears throat> at a church I, I once worked at, I remember once getting an anonymous letter that was not constructive criticism, it was deconstructive. It was hostile and shaming, had a lot of elder brother comments about my preaching and how pastors should have a certain demeanor that I didn't have and didn't I know that my bad grammar was an offense to the dignity of God and on and on and on. And I handled it in an incredibly mature way. <laughs> I wadded it up, threw it in the trash as hard as I could and then I said a thing, which I won't repeat. And then I went into a full-on elder brother pout marathon. Anonymous letter, the coward couldn't even cite it. As if Jesus died to make my grammar better. Here I am doing the Lord's work out of the goodness of my heart. Uh-huh. And all I get for my efforts is a letter like that. And now I'm miserable, but he's smug and happy. That's not fair. Blah, 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 blah. Entitlement, jealousy, judgmentalism. Well, about an hour later, I thought, well, maybe that wasn't a very godly way to handle this. So I pulled it out of the trash, <clears throat> smoothed it out, and I set it on my desk. And then for the next week, every morning, I would put my hand on that letter, and every morning I'd pray, Lord, help me hear what I need to hear out of this letter and disregard what is not of you. Basically, I prayed, Lord, show me my sin. Well, as that week went on, I began to see that some of the criticism was justified. Not all of it, but some of it. And I began to see that I had judged the letter writer at least as harshly, if not more harshly, than he had judged me. So I needed God's grace too. But something else began to happen that week. <clears throat> On a couple of occasions as I prayed about that letter, I, I experienced God's love. I felt it at one point, even felt this physical feeling in my chest. And I heard in my thoughts God say, you're still my man, Dudley. And I love you. So let's buck up. It's just a letter. Also that week, I had an unusual number of affirming comments from different people. And I believe that God prompted those comments that particular week because he knew I needed them. And I took that as a sign that God loved me. It made me feel very loved that he'd go to the trouble to do that. 
And over the course of that week, my heart shifted. I ended that week feeling a ton of joy. I actually started to like that letter. In fact, I even kept it, still have it. Because this thing that brought anger became the thing that brought joy. And helped me experience God's love more, not less. Because through it, I heard God saying, Scott, I love you no matter what other people think of you. And you don't have to perform for me. And in that little moment of that little experience of God's love, it gave me more confidence. And out of that, it restored my relationship with this guy that wrote the letter. Because I wasn't mad anymore. Now, I'll probably never meet him. Never did. Probably never will. But you know what? If he invited me to a party, unlike the elder brother in this story, I totally want to party with that guy. And in heaven, I will. I saw my sin. I experienced God's love, and it softened my heart. And I got rid of anger, jealousy, and judgmentalism and got freedom and joy instead. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting that we don't know in this story if the elder brother ever goes into the party. <clears throat> I think that's because Jesus wants us to complete this story with our lives. At the end of the story, Jesus is saying, and what about you? How's that elder brother in you? Where are you trying to earn approval from God or from someone else? Where might you feel jealous of something someone has that you think you deserve instead? Where might you be a little judgmental? Will you pray, Lord, soften my heart? Show me my sin, and then more importantly, God, overwhelm me with your radically different kind of love. You know, in Jesus' culture, the elder brother has only two choices <clears throat> at the end of this story. If he wants to keep performing and rule-keeping to get what he thinks he deserves... And if he wants to protect the family name from this father who shamefully welcomes sinners home, well then in that culture he has only one option, and that is to take up his staff and beat his father nearly to death. Which is exactly what happened. When the religious leaders, for the sake of the dignity of God, accused Jesus of blasphemy and handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. But even then, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And that is always the heart of God for anyone who will accept it. Which means that there's another ending to this story. Maybe the older son received the father's love. Maybe he stopped believing that holiness was about rule keeping for the sake of a reward and it was about relationship instead. And maybe he went inside and embraced his younger brother and they celebrated. We don't know. But what we can say for sure is this, no matter how long you've been an elder brother, no matter what coldness is in your heart, no matter how distant you have wandered from the Father's love, whatever anger is in you or jealousy or judgmentalism, it does not keep God from reaching out to you to say it is safe to come home. It is safe to come in. And that's what Christmas is about. We elder brothers are in God's house for one reason and one reason only, and it's not our holiness, and it's not our goodness, and it's not all the ways we've performed, and it's not all the ways that we've tried really hard to please people. That's not it. We are in God's house because God himself at Christmas came out of his house in the person of Jesus to say to you, my best boy, my best girl, everything I have is yours. So will you let me soften your heart and give you joy. And please, oh please, oh please, will you let me waste my extravagant love on you? So this week, will you let him?